0: Great to be with you. If I have not met you yet, oh, this microphone is rolling away. If I have not met you yet, my name is Logan. I am a pastor uh, just a few neighborhoods away, but I'm glad to be uh, with you guys filling in as you search for another pastor yourselves. Uh, we are going to continue in what we've been talking about for the last month or so, looking at the life of Jesus in the gospel of Luke. And we've titled this series, There is Good News. And I love that title because it gets right to the point. The early Christians were trying to figure out how to articulate what Jesus had just done. What he did with his life and his death and his resurrection. How do we explain this? Is this like helpful advice? Like, no. This is like the announcement of good news and it is still good news to us 2000 years later all the way across the world from where they were we've come to the part of Jesus's story where he calls his first disciples. So at this point, we've seen his baptism. We've seen him do miracles. We've seen him preach sermons. And now we're gonna see what does it look like for him to gather people to himself and call someone to follow him. So today we're gonna look at one of the most well-known disciples of Jesus and look at his background, his origin story, if you will. I don't know if you guys are movie uh, buffs in here you, you like to read. One of the most popular genres of movies and stories is the origin story. We love a good background of, of our favorite characters, right? The very best characters have great origin stories. How did Darth Vader become so dark and twisted? We know because there's an origin story. You might not have watched it. There's, um episode three, Revenge of the Sith. See, Star Wars fans, you're like, you don't like to acknowledge those early ones. But there is an origin story. Okay, maybe comic books is more your thing. Batman. How did Batman become Batman? We know. Well, from the movies we know, Christopher Nolan in Batman Begins, we have Bruce Wayne. He fell down a well and it was filled with bats and then he witnessed his parents pass away and then uh, he inherited a fortune and he became Batman. The origin story is brilliant, okay? Maybe not um, comic people. How about Gollum from Lord of the Rings? How did Gollum become this slimy, nasty, devious little guy? We know because of the Hobbit. And we see how the ring warped and twisted his mind and even affected his body. Origin stories are interesting because it gives us empathy for the characters, and in some ways, hearing someone else's story helps us make sense of our own stories. Sometimes there's trauma, like Batman. Sometimes it feels more like destiny, calling the person forward, like Luke Skywalker. Sometimes it's pure chance, like Peter Park in Spider-Man. Man, you're at the wrong place, at the wrong time, you got bit by the wrong spider, and the rest is history. Today we are going to look at an origin story of sorts. And we're going to look at the, the disciple that most of us know the best out of all of them, which is Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's first disciples. He goes on to be one of the key leaders in the Christian church, the first Christian church. He Preaches the first Christian sermon, he writes parts of the New Testament. So he ends up being a big deal. He's a real disciple, but we know about Peter, he's not a perfect disciple. That's why we love Peter. Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Peter's doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, and he uh, doesn't always correct himself when he's corrected, right? He's doing it over and over and over again. But what we see about Peter at the beginning is really important. His origin story is very important for us. How did faith in Christ start for him? How did he become a disciple of Jesus? These are important questions because they show us what it means to follow Jesus today. How do we become disciples? How can we become followers of Jesus? How do we live as followers of Christ? This story will tell us today. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So what did it look like for Peter to become a disciple of Jesus? And what does that look like for us? We're going to see a couple of steps that he took. First, we're going to see in his discipleship, he had to hear Christ's word. Hear Christ's word. Notice how this passage begins. Verse 1, the crowds were gathered around Jesus for him to proclaim the word of God to them. People were hungry to hear Jesus teach the scriptures. And so Jesus has this really clever idea. He sees he's teaching. The crowds are coming around him. He sees a couple of boats next to him. He's on the shore. So he thinks, okay, Peter, can I borrow a boat and it'll be like my pulpit. I'll stand in the boat. You all stand on the shore. It'll be like an amphitheater and I'll teach the word of God. And as we mentioned last week, this was not new for Jesus. Preaching was one of Jesus's primary tasks, And when he preached, the scripture tells us, his words were not empty words. They had power. His message was full of grace. His teaching had a type of authority that the people had never seen before. And his message could be summed up, as I mentioned earlier, not as a bunch of platitudes, not as a group of teachings that are helpful advice but his message was one of good news. An announcement of what God was doing in the world, an announcement of the coming kingdom of God. So like Peter, our true discipleship starts when we hear the word of God. The word of God tells us the truth about who God is and about who we are. It tells us the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And the scriptures say the truth sets us free. You see, this is not, the scriptures are not just a list of facts or a list of doctrines that we just say, oh, we believe these, check the box. They go into our mind and they fill us up. It's like, wow, look what I learned, I'm so smart. No. The truth in the scripture is such that when when we believe it, it frees us. It changes us. It transforms our lives. And I love the message that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. I think it summarizes so clearly the message of Christ. This famous verse you probably learned as a child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's a God who's real and who created you. And he loves you so much, he was not satisfied with letting his beloved children wander without him. So he came. He sent his very son so that whoever believes in the son would have new life. And that was Jesus' teaching. Now, Peter was a good Jewish man. He would have heard the scriptures many times before. This was not his first rodeo. But here, something different happened to Peter. It was as if he was hearing it for the first time. It was like something clicked in him. And for those of us who are disciples of Christ, my guess is that happened to you too, right? Maybe you had heard the stories all your life. Your mom told you, your grandma told you, your Sunday school teacher told you, you had some pastor that told you, but then one day you heard it and it was like it came to life. It clicked. And it was as if you were hearing it for the first time. I, was, I heard a story this week about a man. He was a, a scholar, like a, an ancient language scholar, and he had been asked to translate the New Testament. But this man was not a Christian. He was an agnostic. But his son was a Christian. And they asked his son, they said, oh, like what, what do you think about, like what's your father going to do with the New Testament as an agnostic? Like what's he going to do with the New Testament? And his son answered, the better question is, what will the New Testament do with him? And sure enough, this man, after diving into the scriptures for an extended period, gave his life to Christ. He was very familiar with the scriptures, but He realized that in this moment something was different. He wasn't reading the scriptures, the the scriptures were reading him. As C.S. Lewis when he came to faith he said it's like I'm searching for God and it was like I was looking through a keyhole trying to find God and all of a sudden boom there's a face looking back at me realizing that God had been searching for him. There was a, a, a young man at my church Several years ago, he came to the Good Friday service. He had been attending our church for a while. He had Christian friends who were sharing about Christ with him. And that night on Good Friday, he gave his life to Jesus. And we baptized him several weeks later. But he was telling me his story. And he was like, Logan, like, I had heard the stories. Like, for a whole year, I had been sitting in the services, hearing the messages. My friends were telling me about it. But that night, something clicked and I heard the word of God, maybe not with my mind, but with my heart, something changed. This is how discipleship starts. God's word speaking to us. It's foundational. Second, we see it's not only about uh, hearing God's word, it's about seeing Christ's power. Now, this is really interesting. Stay with me. When did Peter actually start following Jesus? Was it during the sermon? No. It was after the sermon. Peter doesn't just listen to the message of God. He sees its power. He experiences something firsthand. In this passage, what Jesus does is he shows Peter his power. Remember, Peter was a professional fisherman. If there's anything Peter thought he knew, it was fishing. That's what he had been doing his entire life, and he had had a really bad day. You guys know what it's like to have a bad day at work. You you know, nothing worked out, I made no sales, I got nothing done. That was Peter's day. He had been all night fishing and he caught nothing. So he sits down, he's exhausted, he listens to the sermon, and then Jesus calls him out. Hey Peter, take the boat, go to deeper waters and fish again. And you can imagine how weird this was for Peter. First of all, Jesus was a carpenter, not a fisherman. So a carpenter was telling a professional fisherman how to fish. Second of all, it was the daytime. They knew if they were going to catch fish, they had to go out at night. Third, he tells them to go to deeper water. And at that time, during the day, you would not go fish in the deeper waters. They all knew this would be foolish. But of course, we know what happens. Peter, out of obedience for Christ, he says, okay, whatever. Grabs his boat. He goes out to the deeper waters. He throws down his net. And all of a sudden, his net is so filled to the brim, it's about to break. He takes one boat. He fills it up. He grabs the second boat. He fills it up so much that the boat begins to sink. And you say, what was Jesus doing? Like, what point was Jesus trying to prove with all of this? Well, a couple of things were happening for Peter. First of all, Jesus had to show Peter his power in a way that Peter could understand in his context. Peter understood fish. Peter also needed to understand that Jesus wasn't just Lord over all of the weaknesses of his life. Maybe uh, he's seen Jesus uh, feed the hungry. Maybe he's seen Jesus heal the sick. But Peter's like, I'm kind of good, actually. I feel pretty strong. And it's as if Jesus is saying, if you are going to be my disciple, you're going to have to follow me with the areas where you think you know best. Not just in the areas where you're, you're okay to be. No, I know I'm weak in that area. Peter had doubtless heard of Jesus' other miracle, other miracles, and now he's standing in his own miracle. He cannot deny the power of God right in front of him and all around him. He was in his own context, in his own boat, and Jesus was working there. But if we even drill deeper, it's not just that Jesus was trying to show his power. Jesus was trying to show a particular type of power, that his power is one that redeems and restores Jesus came not just to do random miracles, as I mentioned before. Jesus came to restore God's good creation and restore God's purposes in the world. So next time you are at trivia night, I got, I got one for you here. What was the first thing clearly stated in the Bible that God created humankind to do? Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. See, this was not random. Jesus is actually pointing back to the very beginning. Jesus is showing Peter, hey, hey, what you've hoped for in the redemption of the world is happening in me. Do you remember God's original purposes for all creation? They are being fulfilled in me. So Jesus here, excuse me, Peter here, not only hears Jesus' teaching and he could not dismiss it. But now he sees Jesus' power, and he could not deny it. And the same is true for many of us when we began following Jesus. We had the message of Christ, which was compelling. But then all of a sudden, we experienced the power of Christ. We couldn't deny it. Maybe for you, it was the people of God Like you heard the message, but you didn't really get it until you saw it lived out in the church, right? People who loved you, people who served the community, people who acted and talked like Jesus. All of a sudden, the message made sense to you. Maybe it was somebody who served you when you were struggling, maybe you saw god answer a specific prayer maybe you saw god transform the lives of people around you and you just saw god's power you know often what i see at my church you probably see the same thing here is that when people first hear the gospel before they believe there's a there's a period where they're seeing god's power and they don't know what to do about it like they'll say things like wait a minute there are smart, successful people in my industry who believe in Jesus. Huh. Or, I've seen the love of Jesus displayed among this people. I've felt the warmth of this community. Or, I, hear, I keep hearing stories of people in my city and all over the world whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Jesus. Like, is this just a coincidence that all these people, like, all have the similar story? Or maybe this one. I hear this one. Wow. Like, this is maybe a coincidence again, but maybe it's not. This is really weird. I think that God just answered my prayer. Right? And all of a sudden, these... um, the, the mental furniture is starting to get arranged, right? They're starting to say, wait a minute, I have this message, but now I've seen the power in the real world, in my life. Then that's what happened with Peter, and that's what happened with us. But it doesn't end there. Third, we see Peter confessing his sins. And this is a part of our discipleship. This is a part of us coming to Jesus for the first time. You see, Peter's response in this text is really surprising. He just witnessed a miracle in his boat. He just had the greatest work day of his life. His boats were filled to the brim. You would have thought he'd be more excited. Verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Woo, I'm rich. No. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. What if I walked up to you after church and I said, hey, I know we don't know each other very well. I'm kind of new around here. But I'm serious. I put $100,000 in your bank account. And you'd be like, I don't think so. No way. This guy's crazy. He's one of those weird preachers. I don't know. No way. But you'd probably go check. Like, well, maybe. <laughs> You check it out and you say, whoa, it's true. There's $100,000 in my account. Would you run back to the church, fall to your knees and be like, depart from me. I'm a sinner. No, you'd be like, hey, um, we need to get closer. <laughs> Can we become closer friends? Because I seem like this is a good arrangement. You keep giving me money. We'll hang out. But you, you definitely wouldn't fall to your knees and be like, get away from me with all of your gifts and your blessings. So what's happening with Peter here? Peter does the opposite of what we would expect. He's not excited. He's crushed. He's terrified. He's unsettled. He needs distance from Jesus, or so he thought. It's like the fish in the boat were not important at all. Because in the boat, he got a glimpse of God. And when he got a glimpse of God, he got a glimpse of himself And what he saw troubled him. He sees his own heart and he begins to be convicted of his sin. He falls down on his knees and he begins confessing to Jesus. And he doesn't know better. So he's like, I'm confessing, but God, I just need you to get away from me. This is the response we often see in the scriptures when people come into the presence of a holy God. Remember Isaiah? Isaiah comes into the presence of God and his response is one of similar to Peter. He's like, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Like we're not qualified for this. We are not worthy to stand in your presence. You are holy God. And I'm looking at my life, my life and it's Not so holy. In our day, it sounds something like this. I really want to have a relationship with God, but I know who God is, and I know who I am, so here's what I'm going to do. I love the songs. I love the sermons. I love the community groups. I love all the stuff about church. This is great, but I'm just going to go get my life together, get my act together, and when I do, I'm going to come back. And of course, they never come back right? Because that's not the way the gospel works. (laughs) It never works that way. That's not the gospel. That's not grace. That's not what Jesus came to do. But there is this sense of I cannot get near God with my sin. But how does God respond to us in our sin? How does he respond to Peter? Here is the The crux of the story. Here's the climax of what's happening. And it leads us to our final point. Responding to the call. Peter is in a very vulnerable place. Can you imagine how he must have felt? He is on his knees in a boat. Presumably in front of a large crowd of people. And here he is airing his dirty laundry for everyone to see confessing his sins to Jesus. Do you see how vulnerable Peter is in this moment? And you think, okay, what is Jesus going to do? How does Jesus respond to us in that moment of our deepest vulnerability where it seems like we are seen to our core? There's no hiding. Peter knows that. There is no sweeping it under the rug. I am exposed before... God, what is he going to do with this? Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. In another gospel, we read that Jesus simply says, follow me. First of all, Jesus comes close. And here's what we see in the gospels. In our weakness, in our brokenness, in our sin, God actually pursues us. He leans in. Jesus does not listen to Peter. Thank God. Peter's like, Jesus, get away from me. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. First of all, you're not getting away from me, and I'm not getting away from you. I'm actually coming closer. I'm actually asking you to follow me more intimately. Intimately. This is the good news of the gospel. I just need to say it again, that though our sin separates us from God, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. God doesn't send us away. He didn't send Peter away. He doesn't send us away. In our sin, he he came near. Why? Because that's the whole, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why he came. So that his sons and daughters who were wandering without him could come home. Not so he could get us in a vulnerable place and kick us in the water. Right? Right? He doesn't, he, in our moment of brokenness, we kind of are scared. Like, God, what are you going to do? you going to shame me? Peter, it's about time. Man, it was rough there for a while. It's, I'm going to grovel for a little while longer. Then maybe you can come. That's not what he does. He draws near. But that's not all. He silences the voice of fear. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Perhaps those are the words we most need to hear from a holy God. Don't be afraid. Peter, I'm not sending you away and I'm not going anywhere. I've not come to harm you. I'm here to help you. I've not come to bring you judgment. I've actually come to give you new life. And then he calls Peter to follow him. It's like this moment for Peter. He's seen the miracles. He's heard the message. And it's as if Jesus is calling to him saying, Peter, don't you see? Can't you see who I really am? Would you come and follow me? And if you follow me, you're going to be catching men. Peter, follow me. Join me in my kingdom work. Not only am I drawing you into relationship with God through Christ, but I'm also deploying you out into the world with a purpose. There's, You see the dignity in that. The joy of salvation and the dignity of purpose. That is what we get in Christ. Peter had come to a moment of decision. Peter, follow me. And I can imagine everything going through his head. Like, what about my fishing business? What about my partners? What about my dad? What about my family? What about my resources? Peter, follow me. He had a decision to make. you see, we don 't drift into discipleship. We decide. We don't drift into discipleship. you didn 't wake up one day and be like, "Whoa, how'd I get here? Follower of Jesus. Woo. No, at some point in your life, you looked at Jesus and you heard his message, you saw his power, and somebody invited you to come and you said i 'm coming." I'm ready to come to Jesus and find healing and joy and life and forgiveness and purpose. And you said, here I come. And that's where Peter was. And I think that's where we need to be this morning, this afternoon, this evening. What time is it? (laughs) But for Peter, it meant a couple of things. And it means the same for us. I'm going to close with this you say, okay, great. I really do want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Christ. I am in. Okay, what do I do? (laughs) What do I need to do here? Well, a couple things does it mean to be a disciple. First, it means to be with Jesus. At the most fundamental level, to follow Jesus means that you're near him, right? This wasn't metaphorical in the sense where it's like, or I follow someone on Twitter, or I follow a set of teachings. No, it was about being near a person. Um, The modern word, modern equivalent would be the idea of an apprentice, right? If you're a plumber, you probably apprentice with another plumber, meaning you spent time together. But some of you may be asking, wait a minute. Great, but Jesus no longer walks on planet Earth. (laughs) So how do I do that? Well, this is actually a problem that Jesus addresses in John chapter 14. It must have been an issue for his disciples. Remember when um, the disciples are like, Jesus is like, I'm going away. Uh, I'm not going to be with you in person any longer. And the disciples are like, "Um, how do we go where you're going? He's like, see, the thing is, you're not. But... I am going to send a helper who is the Holy Spirit. In Greek, the word is paraclete. Literally, this idea of coming alongside. The one who comes alongside to help, the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When you trust in Christ, I'm going to indwell you with the Holy Spirit so that there is no distance. There's nearness. There's felt presence. There's relationship. And it's not hot, cold, in, out. It's fullness of the Holy Spirit. And more than that, I'm going to leave behind my good word. So you're you're going to still be able to hear me speak. You're going to have the spirit. You're going to have the word of God for fellowship. So to be with Christ. The second thing a disciple does is to become like Christ. For Peter, him in the boat was not the finished product. He was just getting started. But to follow Jesus means to take on his character And as we walk with him, we begin to look like him. That's what Paul is telling us in Galatians with this Holy Spirit. He's saying, hey, I need you to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And as you do so, you're going to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning Christ in you is going to bear fruit. And that fruit is basically the likeness of Jesus Christ. It is his love. His joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things are going to grow up in you so that you will be like Christ, to be with Christ, to be like Christ, and finally to do what Jesus did. Isn't the ending of that so beautiful, Peter, come, not only finding forgiveness and joy and peace as if that weren't enough, I'm also deploying you in my purposes in the world. You're gonna join me in my mission. And here's what's cool. The, the words here are not individual. The text is plural. It literally says, you all will be fishers of men. So I think sometimes we think of the image and it's like a dude at the end of a pier sitting in a chair by himself with a fishing rod. Here I am, God, fishing. That's not the picture. The picture is a boat full of people, each of them holding a corner of the net, working together in Christ's mission. So here's the question today. Would you follow him? Maybe today you've been around church for a while. Maybe you're new here. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you're listening somehow. The invitation is the same for you as it was for Peter. Follow Christ? Would you put put your faith in him? But for those of you today who would say, no, I've actually been following Christ for a while. The invitation for you today is to evaluate your discipleship. How's it going? Do you have good intentions? Or are you actually following? Those are two different things. I spent large parts of my Christian life with great intentions, very little follow-through very good intention, nothing that really looked like following. And I think that's what can happen. It becomes a belief in our head, not a conviction of our life that we live out, that we put one foot in front of the other every day and actually follow this Jesus. We practice it, we pray, we're with him, we're, we're being used on his mission, we're engaged in his body. We are living it, not just thinking it. So how's your discipleship? This afternoon, I want to invite you, as the band comes, I want to invite you, just to bow your heads, and for a moment, I just want to lead us in a moment of prayer and reflection. Maybe this morning, you, this morning, this afternoon, you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe this afternoon, you're saying, I want to follow Christ. What does that look like? Very simply, it looks like repentance and faith. You turn from from the one way that you've been following and chasing and you turn towards Jesus. And it could very simply be expressed in a, a prayer like this if you wanted to repeat after me. Dear Lord, like Peter, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. This afternoon I'm turning away from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. Today I trust and follow you as my savior and my Lord. Father, We are so grateful that this tension we see in the boat, where you have a holy God and an unholy person, how do we resolve the tension? We're grateful this afternoon that we know how the story ends, that Jesus himself would resolve this tension at the cross where he would die for our sins in our place and then offer us the freedom and joy of life and forgiveness. We can stand, Jesus stood in the gap. And so now we can have the freedom of a relationship with God. We give you praise and thanks. And as we respond this afternoon, may we be filled with joy. God, may we not be indifferent to the good news of the gospel with our hands in our pockets looking forward to dinner. God, may we tonight just be in awe of Christ. And as we take the elements of the bread and the cup of communion, may we just be filled with thankfulness for what Christ has done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.